0: A lot of happenings in the Atlantic League and other leagues. We're here to break it all down on this, the 37th episode of the Indie Ball Report podcast. All right, we're back again, episode number 37 of the Indie Ball Report podcast. Open for business. We have a lot to discuss today, the Atlantic League possibly going to the Lone Star State again, postseason awards in that league, some indie ball tryouts, a disposal draft, and by popular request, I mean one person emailed us a question for the Q&A that we'll talk about at the end, the ABS system going to affiliated ball, I think we could dive right in to the Atlantic League to Dallas, specifically is a Dallas suburb, known as Mesquite, Texas. It came out on Monday that there are plans to bring an Atlantic League team to Mesquite. However, there are just rough plans at the moment. There is nothing more than just that. They don't really have a plan yet for a ballpark, and they need funding. However, the mayor did support this. Issue with that. That mayor was up for re-election, and he lost 52% to 48%, but it was a close vote, 438 votes deciding. So, I suppose you could go with a recount, but let's be honest. Probably not going to change anything. Yep.
1: And that's, you know, that's where that one's going to go, I think.
0: Yeah, exactly. I just think it's going to kind of die. It's a bit of a shame. It's right outside of Dallas, and so that would have been a nice mark to grab. Yeah. Four hours from Houston, so it would have automatically been the closest team to Sugar Land. Mm-hmm. And so it would have been nice to have another, like, in-state rival going for them, which seems to be their trend on new teams. They Absolutely. Have, yeah, they have the Dallas-Houston that they would have been going for. They have Estonia and High Point that's close by. It seems like that's their new thing, plus you have Lancaster, you have York, and older teams, of course, same thing with the older teams in Somerset, Long Island. Yep. It seems like they want that kind of couplet type thing going forward, which I agree with. I think that's a good way to get markets off the ground. You have that kind of natural geographic rifle going. Obviously, you'll form uh, more rivalries over time as you play more games. You'll have the, they beat us three times in the postseason. Or, right. This particular team always throws inside us, and, you know, it's getting old really quick. <laughs> yes. And so, obviously, that will develop over time, but, yep. but I do like that kind of geographic thing to get it started. Overall, it's, it's disappointing to see this kind of die that quickly.
1: It, it is disappointing, and obviously, we're not 100% positive that it's dead, but when you have the main proponent of this uh, expansion kind of not getting reelected as mayor, you're going to have a serious problem and so I think that might be where it ends, and I think you're right. It's a really fantastic ballpark uh, idea to, to put a ballpark there, to put a team there. I think it would be really great for the Mesquite area. I think it would be really great for, uh, you know, baseball in general, uh particularly Atlantic League baseball, which has kind of been one-upped in many ways by this new Frontier League. And so to have them have something kind of good going on here, obviously you have Gastonia, but uh, now if you can get another team in there, it just shows that you're committed to that expansion. And I think the problem is just that, you know, with this not happening, you know, presumably because of this change, it really calls into question where else could the Atlantic League go?
0: Exactly. And I, they I hit the nail on the head there. While we're not sure, like you're saying, that it's going to be kaput, it seems very much like that. The guy that uh, won it was one of the guys saying, this is not a smart decision to build a baseball stadium here. It doesn't really make uh, economic sense. And if it doesn't make economic sense, you have to kind of question it a bit, even though the angle that uh, the former, I believe the name was Pickett, was kind of pushing from was, look, we need more stuff for the kids to do around here. It's a family activity. It could be an economic boost. At the same time, it's like, well, how much is it going to cost to actually build the stadium? Is it going to be private funding? Is it going to be public funding? Which if it's going to be public funding... There's a lot more questions of that. You know, how much taxpayer money is going towards it? Are we going to see that money back? Are we going to have an ownership stake in a, a bunch of behind-the-scenes kind of uh, more business angle stuff? So I understand where they're coming from, where we have got to build these ballparks, which are not cheap ballparks. You no, know not at all. They're about $20, $30 million ballparks. So, I mean, that's always not great. It's a buzzkill there. Uh, I mean, we do know there's other newer ballparks going, Metro Miller's being one up in Minneapolis. We covered that last week. Yep. The locations, it's kind of hard to say, because Mesquite, we didn't really know about. Right. I don't right. think too many people knew about. hmm I imagine somewhere else in Texas is going to be looked at. Maybe. Maybe look at some of the old uh, Southwest League cities, the ones that we covered way in the beginning, that uh, our friend Mark never really got around to, and that's... So maybe, like, a Joplin, maybe one of the six cities I listed in the article that came out a couple weeks back, maybe one of them, that you could read that article and look at those cities on IndieBallReport.com, articles first thing there until the other article that's being written right now goes up. Ooh, look at you. I know. Busy. Very
1: busy. Busy man. But yeah, no, I, I agree. I think that there's definitely a chance that they would put something else in Texas. I think uh, Marshall University would be another interesting yeah, one an in interesting one. West Virginia. So, I mean, I, I think there's plenty of places that they could consider, but I think it is it makes it a touch more challenging uh, now that they had something that seemed to be a rather concrete idea now is facing a lot of opposition, hmm. uh, and I think that opposition might be granted. If if someone is having economic uh, questions about whether it's viable for to have this park here, maybe it's a good thing they don't go there. But hmm. I, I don't know enough about the region. I'd have to do some more research on the region. Uh, I really think it's important to have the whole community be behind it, and if the community's not behind it, then you're going to have some issues. And if you have those problems, it's going to be difficult for the team to really succeed economically if there isn't an idea that it is a viable thing for this region. Uh, while I think that it's really good to say, okay, well, you have this natural rivalry, great, but by the same token, if the surrounding area isn't economically viable, maybe it's a good thing that it's not going there.
0: <laughs> exactly. If you don't have total support of the, uh, the city government, we've seen how that goes before. Oh, yeah. Kansas City, Ottawa being the most glaring example, Camden, North, Bridgeport, all these places when you lose that support, when you have other people in that government saying, "I wasn't a fan from the get-go," or "I'm not a fan of where it's become now," all that kind of a thing in the, in that process. So it's like I said, it's disappointing to see that, but it's going to go, and there's nothing much you could really do about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's just what it is, and I really hope moving forward, the Atlantic League will be able to kind of get away from uh, you know areas that might not be econ- ac- <clears throat> economically viable. Uh, and if they are able to kind of move into areas that are more economically viable, it can really
0: help them kind of expand, as opposed to you know lose teams like they seem to have been doing lately. Exactly, and that it definitely. I'm interested to see where they're going to go. I think there's yeah. some areas in the south that are definitely viable. I think that definitely makes some sense. Agree. Yeah, I think that's kind of the end of that. Any case, and we can kind of move on now to the ALPB awards. Here, it's a it's a rather uh, large topic, so we'll try and covered the the best we can, Uh, fairly thorough I think. Awards week began this week, I believe Monday was when we first got the, or got the first bunch of them, and we got the postseason All-Stars. I'll go through that, and then we'll go through each of the subsequent awards, which are all defensive team and then club awards. In any case, let's dive right into these, to the uh, award All-Star getters. So, at Catcher we have Isaiah Tejada, York Revolution, we have Telvin Nash at First Base, also, York Revolution. Woo. Second base, we have Jonathan Galvez. He is, uh, or was of the New Britain Bees. Third base from Somerset, Will Kenger. Shortstop from Southern Maryland, Edwin Garcia. Outfielders from Lancaster, York, and High Point Rockers, Caleb Grendel, Melky Mesa, Stephen Cardulo. And DHing, also formerly of the Bees, Jason Roger. Your three pitchers. Starting pitcher from Blue Crabs is Daryl Thompson. Also from the Blue Crabs, reliever Matt Latos. Woo. And your closer of the year from New Britain. Fitting that the closer goes to New Britain <laughs> is Jim Fuller. So those are your all stars of the year.
1: Is my lack of free peanuts. Yeah,
0: yeah. there you go. <laughs> I think the all star ballot got fairly well distributed. I think it's fairly even there. You had a decent mix of really defensive focused guys and then. Good offensive talent there. Yeah. MVP of the year is Telvin Nash. That shocker. was kind of yeah, <laughs> that's a shocker one. Yeah, when you have forty eight home runs, you score hundred and seven runs. RBIs, which is kind of a worthless counting stat. hundred of those though, you batted two ninety four, six thirty two slugging, and an OBP of over a thousand. It's kind of an obvious one who's oh, gonna yeah. win that award. Oh,
1: oh yeah. He was he was crazy this year. Crazy. Out of his mind he was fantastic by far the best player, probably the best player independently in baseball, easy.
0: Oh you know, he's going to win any ball player of the year. It has to. Yep. But that won't come out until, I believe, January is when Baseball America puts that out. I think so, yeah. I think that's roughly the time we saw Elvis being last year. Yep. In any case, when we also have our pitcher of the year, Daryl Thompson, a 15-8 and record, a 3.23 ERA, and just a shade under 193 innings pitched. He struck out 162 and walked only 27 on the year. That's pretty damn good.
1: Yeah, similarly, that's one where it's shocker. I mean, that's a fantastic numbers. Uh, He was a game changer all throughout the year, so yeah, clearly.
0: I mean, that one is pretty straightforward there. Once Kubiak left, the competition kind of dwindled down really quick. Yep. And then the one that I had a little issue with, uh, Wally Backman wins manager of the year. Now, this is one where I've seen a lot of people online going, oh, well, Wally did so great this year, won a league championship, We're just talking on the field. His off-the-field problems are his own problems, and he hasn't been found guilty of anything yet, which, enough people, you could just look it up. You'll find out what it is. Right. On the field, he had a good year. I mean, 83-plus wins, a team record for wins in a season, won a championship, really didn't struggle at any point in the championship run. I mean, a little bit in that final series with a couple games in Sugar Land, but he motivated them to the end of the line. He managed it well. He did. Plus, they lost a lot of guys, so I understand how he could win it. Absolutely. In my mind though, it's Jamie Keefs overwork. Agree. He just he had to build a team from scratch. Absolutely. And a team that wasn't expected to do anything in a very difficult division. <clears throat> and he guys went for the second best record in that division behind only a Long Island Duck squad that had a record year, which I again I understand why if you're just looking at it all things being equal while well, you go Long Island here, but High Point had no team. <laughs> You had to right. build this from scraps. Yeah. This is a team from scraps, and he lost his best players consistently throughout the year. Yep. And once he lost he I mean, that became really difficult, and he managed to find people to fill the holes. And, I mean, he played... He got them, what, within two wins of going to a championship series in the first thing? Absolutely. He's a very talented manager, and frankly, I thought he deserved it more just because of what he was able to accomplish.
1: I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to agree with you because... He had to take a bunch of guys who were from the Can-Am League and from a bunch of different places, and like you're saying, kind of sew them together in this interweaving way and make them the team to beat uh, You know uh all of these great teams, Somerset, which didn't have that great of a year, but Long Island, and really be able to go toe-to-toe in this division. And I thought it was very impressive what he did, and I thought that it was equally as impressive what Wally Backman did, but what Wally Backman did had a lot to do with you know, having such a talented roster and having really good organizational structure and support, and more of that is a historical legacy thing. it's not taking anything away from Wally Backman, it's just, it's what we expected from the Ducks. Exactly.
0: They're just such an organization where they have a reputation for getting guys from their team to other organized leagues, whether it be abroad or MILB, or in some cases, right to Major League. Yeah. I mean, how many guys were pitching... I mean look, like Tim Melville being the best example. Yeah. He went from pitching in Long actually went from like working at a barbecue shop in Arizona to <laughs> yes. pitching on Long Island and then three months later he's pitching for the Rockies and doing a very good job of it. So yeah. I mean you expect that from Long Island there much more than you expect it from and a brand new team in High Point, North Carolina. And I just again I understand why Batton got it. I'm not saying he doesn't deserve it. I'm Agreed. just saying that it's uh that Jamie Keith deserved it a lot more
1: right if we're going to say the best manager we have to say the be- the person who did the best managerial job, not the person who had the most wins because those things are very different often
0: exactly it's, it's' who did the best with what they had to work with and and Keith had a higher or uh, a much more steep hill to climb, and yeah. he managed to climb it to i think the same height
1: absolutely absolutely he had to climb it from you know scratch like we said early on. You tried to climb it from scratch, and I had no expectations this year for the Rockers. None. I mean Zero. He,
0: I mean, coming into the year, we both thought, oh, they're going to finish last. Everyone that does this said, oh, they'll finish last. I think i was the most positive I was saying, yeah, they'll have a hot streak to start the year, and then they'll kind of hit her off as, you know, the brand new, new stadium, big crowd thing wears off. Yeah. As the summer gets hotter in North Carolina, it'll fizzle out, and then that'll be that. They'll probably finish with, like, 60 wins or something like that. It won't be that. It won't be a terrible year, but it won't be good by any stretch of the imagination, and then they go ahead and they manage to do what they needed to do and get into the postseason. Yeah. Now granted they didn't have a long stay, but they still won a game or two. So I mean like that goes away.
1: If if I may jump back one quick second back yeah. to the mesquite topic.
0: Yeah. Um when you
1: said that it just brought up in my mind also one of the issues that you could definitely have there is heat.
0: Oh yeah, no, heat's definitely gonna be a in problem. Texas? Yeah, I mean, you could the, look at the Texas Rangers. Yeah, there. they're a pro team, and they kind of last with an open air stadium, yeah, they ha-
1: and it was a beautiful open air stadium oh, too. Oh yeah, no, it's very
0: nice. But the heat's gonna be a problem. The heat
1: would be a serious issue, and I think putting less, especially if we look at it from you know just an ecological perspective for one moment, uh, you know whatever your politics are, the climate is you know having it's, hot. it's changing, and and you're gonna have these areas, you know, it's gonna get hotter in Texas, and it's gonna be hard to play baseball there.
0: Exactly. Yeah. So that's something you gotta look out for when you're expanding south is heat. Yeah. But um, to get back on the topic here, back on track. Yeah. That that's really my only complaint with that postseason All Star list and the awards for players of the year and all that. Mm-hmm. I just uh, everything else I agreed with pretty much. Thompson deserved it. Nash was a no doubter. The All Stars, yeah, maybe you could cherry pick a couple of them. Maybe sub in a different all a different guy at certain positions, but. By and large, I really have no complaints about it at all.
1: I agree with that, yeah.
0: Yeah. Going to the all-defense team now, we have from New Britain, catcher Logan Moore, who turned it around in the second half, big. From Lancaster, Casey Hobson. He's at first base. Second base is Craig Massey of Somerset. Third base, Hector Gomez from High Point. Edwin Garcia, who we just saw in the last list from Southern Maryland. He is on the all-defense team. Caleb Gindel. Darian Sanford, and Corey Vaughn. All three of them are your defense foul fielders of the year. Uh, they are two belong to belong uh, to Lancaster, one to Southern Maryland, and then Daryl Thompson again appears here as the defensive catcher. Uh, defensive player of the year, though, goes to Edwin Garcia. Very good year for him. 205 putouts, 286 assists, 80 double plays turned, and 13 errors on the year. So, not a bad year at all.
1: No, not at all. I mean, I think that list is pretty strong list. I mean, I I don't think I have any problems with that list. Uh, Certainly not popping to mind right now, and I think that's a good thing. I think it's showing that, you know, the Atlantic League is kind of, you know, picking the right
0: guys. Yep. Radmacher's the only guy from New Britain that I would probably get on there. I Mm -hmm. mean, four air an outfielder all year. He played 81 innings in center field, 80 innings in right field, I believe. So that's one guy I would have liked to see put in there, but at the same time, I could see where they're coming from on it, but...
1: Yeah, he he did play very well. He is a great glove. Yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, that's another guy I would have liked to see yeah. in there, but
0: Yeah. And just a quick mistake, I didn't mean innings, I meant games played there. He had right. over Yeah, I just wanted to clear that because I was gonna be like, no, oh, wait, that's not that many innings.
1: Yeah, yeah. But, <laughs> games
0: played. Yeah, no, he played like hundred and sixty games in the outfield, so I mean you play that long in there, only four hours. I thought it warned in some consideration. Not sure who you take out though, so I guess that's the problem. Yeah, I guess that is the issue. Yep. So will go to Club Awards now. Those were announced earlier today. Executive of the Year belongs to Mike Reynolds, GM of the Barstormers. Interesting call. I think that more as to relate to the Community Service Award that they won. I think was a lot of that. Again, Executive, I would probably try to get something from High Point. Again, brand new team, did a lot of work. I, have, I
1: have questions about this <coughs> Lancaster... They had the they had
0: the worst record
1: this year. They, they were awful. I mean, they were dreadful. They were. Dreadful. They beat Somerset a lot, though. <laughs> they did. They did beat up on our on our boys in Somerset. <clears throat> but you know, I think the the issue is what giving Lancaster the award. The uh, the guy in Lancaster the award. I don't know how that's going to actually work. Like,
0: I think it's more off the field. Than I, I understand.
1: Think. You know, it's off the field and it's community service and, and all these things. And I think that's very noble. But I think mean, his job is to get guys in position to win games. And they didn't win any games. So
0: I see what you're saying. If like, you're a GM, your job is to fill a roster especially There's a separate in the, award for community service that you won.
1: Yeah, especially in the Atlantic League. I mean the Atlantic League is a hundred percent about getting guys in getting talent in for this particular year. It doesn't matter. He's not it wasn't like he was building a long term plan here. I mean, yeah... Yeah, I, I see
0: what you're saying. I, I definitely get what you're saying. I mean, he did put together some decent enough players. I mean, you got Hobson in there, you had Sanford in there, you had Kindle in there, all guys that won awards. I mean, there's other guys, too, that aren't included in there as well. I mean, just some of them didn't pan out this year, and as as a team, it just didn't come together. So, I mean, you can only blame him so much for that.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I can't blame him so much for that, but he doesn't deserve an award.
0: I mean, true, but at the same time, I think he kind of kind of balanced, like... Impacting the community on the field.
1: I mean, maybe right. I I guess. I perhaps I'm not giving enough credence to the -the off-the-field accomplishments that has, you know, kind of allowed him to get this award. But I just think that they're there to play baseball. They're they're. Oh
0: yeah, no, I agree with you there. I think that they needed to. I wouldn't have went with him in particular. Right. Like I said, I would have went with someone from High Point. I would have looked at. Someone from Sugarland, even.
1: I mean, I would have been okay even from somebody from York. I mean, they had a great, you know, turnaround there at the end. I mean, so... I mean,
0: yeah, but York, gets They get their just doing this, too. So, I mean... They do. I mean, they get promotion of the year, which I think is another one that's kind of BS. Yeah. Their promotion of the year was the All-Star game. Don't consider that it. I think for... To be promotion of the year, you need to be, you know, running your own promotion on a day you're playing specifically. Agreed. Not you know, a league-wide event. Otherwise, give it a different award. If you're just going to go all-star game every year, it's not a promotion. That's not what's happening with that. There's other awards. There. I mean, you see with uh, Somerset to get on to another one. Uh, basically, promotional excellence award, which you had the best promotion, is that one.
1: Yeah, I agree with that. That
0: went to Somerset. And I can agree with that. I can see that. Uh, there's a couple other teams that have some decent ones. I mean, Southern Maryland changed their name for a weekend. They had their own thing going on there. They what, had things, what did they change it to? The Monuments. The Monuments. Yes, the Southern Maryland Monument. I forget the exact reasoning why, but they did it for a promotional thing. I think it was uh, like Fourth of July or something like that. Well, and then they had uh, the Washington Monument on their jerseys.
1: Oh, well, that's, that, that was interesting. Yeah, no, I think I remember that. Yeah, that, that was interesting. I like that. You know, thing, creative things like that.
0: Exactly. I still go with Somerset, but still. Yeah. It's something there. Uh, community mm-hmm. Service, we said Lancaster. Ballpark of the year, pretty unsurprising BB&T Point just opened. It's brand new, so not surprising at all. Uh, Dan Purner, the head groundskeeper for Somerset, he wins groundskeeper excellence. So good for him. Yeah, He's good for field. him. Well,
1: that field is always gorgeous in Somerset. They do a fantastic job over there.
0: Exactly. Well, sir, yep. looks very, in is in very good shape. I mean, especially when you compare it to some of the other leagues we see. I mean... <sighs>
1: Uh But, yeah, no, I think that that really is something that Somerset does well. is has a really fantastic groundskeeping crew. I feel is always immaculate. I've never seen it not, like, MLB, you know, oh, quality. Oh, yeah, no, it's, it's very good
0: shape. Yeah. Very rarely is it not in good shape, and that's only due to Drought or some circumstance beyond the control. Right,
1: beyond the control, yeah.
0: Yep. Uh, any case, final award, mascot of the year, Hype the Horse. Go for Hype. So let's go to something that's uh, a little bit more go with the Bee Disposal Draft, because that's a cheery, fun topic for all you Bees fans out there. Oh, gut-wrenching. Yep. So, uh, that was held on uh, November 6th, so this past Wednesday. For those that are unaware of what a Disposal Draft is exactly, because I saw some people wondering, let's clear this up. Basically, you take the Bees roster. Any player that last played for the Bees, or that the Bees still held their rights, they go into a giant draft pile and the other teams are allowed to essentially just draft players off of that roster or the roster of players who belong to New Britain. So a guy like Alejandro de Aza, his ALPB rights still belong to New Britain, so his name went into the, I guess, portal, if you would, and they were able to pluck that name in the draft so he could go to a different team if he returns. Essentially, it's just figuring out where the former B players will be allowed to play next year. Yep. They live. We did this. We have the results, and we're going to kind of break down what we think of each pick here. Because there's not really that many. There's like 20 picks or so. So we'll just go through. We'll just go through the first three rounds that everyone participated in. So let's start with pick number one that belonged to the Barnstormers. The order was determined by regular season record. Worst teams at the beginning, best teams at the end. First team up was Lancaster. They picked with the first overall selection, outfielder Alejandro Diaz.
1: I mean, that's a great one, right? I mean, former MLB player, great experience, really a a great fielder, uh, fantastic hitter as well. Even at the MLB level, he did hit pretty well. Uh, He went through stretches um, where he hit well.
0: So, a ten-year veteran, you don't stick around ten years in the major leagues and and not
1: not be able to hit. Yeah. So, I mean, he he definitely was. Is a good pick. It's a good selection. Obviously, a little bit older of a guy. So, that's, yeah, he's that's interesting. He's
0: 36 and start next year. Yeah, so
1: that's interesting. But I do think that it, in terms of the Bees roster, probably the biggest name guy, at least. Uh, yeah,
0: no, he certainly had name recognition. I mean, the whole article I'm writing is basically a grade of this whole draft and everything that comes with that. And DeAzum was just an interesting one because I frankly don't see him returning back. I think <clears throat> because he had a good AAA stint. With Rochester, uh, Minnesota's A affiliate. So I could see him kind of being like a Rajay Davis type, where he gets a minor league contract out of spring training, he just kind of sticks around A, and then in June, July, when you need a guy to call up real quick, you grab D'Asa because you know what you're going to get with him.
1: Or maybe even gets an invite to spring training and makes a team. You know? I don't mm-hmm. think he's a 40 man roster No, you don't guy. think he's a 40 man roster guy think at he- this
0: point? watching him with the Mets, he's not a 40-man roster guy. Yeah. And that was his last major league That was team. his
1: last major league stand. Yeah, he wasn't wasn't great there.
0: Yeah, no. no, I yelled yeah, a bunch of stuff in I was at my TV <laughs> when he was playing. And mainly wondering, why the hell is the guy that's batting 120 in the starting lineup? Why is he here?
1: And that's true. He did struggle a little bit offensively.
0: So, I mean, he dominated in the lower leagues. So maybe he just needed to get his confidence back or whatever, but maybe. But still, I just found it interesting for that. I would have thought they would have taken somebody that been on the team for certain next year. I wouldn't have thought that they would have taken a guy like Deaza, who you know is a bit more, a bit more touch and go.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that makes a lot of sense. If you don't have a guy who's going to be there, it makes a pick worthless. So, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's not you know. But I do like the pick in terms of if he, if he plays. I think mean, it'll be great. Uh, mm-hmm. Like for the reasons we said, he's good on the field, but he's also a big draw, and I think that exactly is a helps. name, and yeah.
0: that that's definitely one of the areas I'm grading in. For the article, at least. It's yeah. name recognition. the a big one. Which matters a lot. Uh, Southern Maryland was up next. They took Jonathan Galvez. I like this pick a lot because Jonathan Galvez is a very successful player. I mean, he's an all-star in the postseason there. He definitely now makes a tremendous middle infield combo for Southern Maryland. You have an amazing uh, fielder in Edwin Garcia on the one side, a shortstop. And now at second base, you have Galvez, who has a lot of power. 17 home runs he had. He had a good slash line, too. I don't exactly recall what it was, but he batted about 300, So a solid year from him, and I think something you could see continue. My only concern with this pick is I don't really see it addressing a need for Southern Maryland. Kent Blackstone did a fine job at second base, and assuming he'll be back next year, you know, I think you could have gotten by fine there. I would have looked towards more of a Logan Moore, who you know for certain is going to be back in this league next year, who really picked up that second half. You fill that catcher spot that currently has Charlie Velario there, who was kind of touch and go for the vast majority of last year. Shaky at best. So you have an awesome defensive catcher there then, a guy that obviously is going to mesh with the kind of team culture of pitching first and that kind of pitching-centric mentality. And that's just what I would have done there. I think that addresses the need a lot more than Galvez. But at the same time, very good player. Not really much you can complain about there.
1: Yeah, I think Galvez is a good pick because it's taking the best talent that's available from the bees roster. I think Galvez is extremely talented. However, I do think, uh, as you point out, catcher is a position they're going to need to address. So they didn't address it here, but they're going to need to address it moving forward.
0: Exactly. So that's one concern there. Uh, moving on now to Somerset. Jason Rogers. He was a DH for most of the year, but he's also can play the infield, mainly first base. I like it. He's a bat. And that is one thing Somerset absolutely needed. They needed a bat. So they fill that need there. Uh, obviously not the only thing they're going to do this offseason. They're going to need to bring a lot more guys. They're going to need to replace some guys. And they're going to need to just reevaluate.
1: I agree 100%. This is just another bat, another big-time guy. You can put in the lineup and he can produce. And this is what they need. After their just huge struggles offensively last year, they really need... Uh, they're going to keep putting you know people in the seats the way they normally do. They really need to have a good year uh, next year.
0: Exactly. They just need offense. Everything else will fall into place if they can just get the offense going. Which Absolutely was a major struggle for them. Moving on to Sugarland, Alexei Armistea, infielder. He has some major league experience, mainly a middle <laughs> infielder type, second third base really. Uh, had an okay year. Interesting enough pick. I don't really get where Sugarland's going with this, but. I suppose you take the name that's kind of known. You take a guy that has some offense. He's a solid defensive player. To just again other guys that were taken before.
1: I agree. I think this is kind of the opposite of the Galvez pick, where you know he's they took the the best talent that was available, and this is feels more like just grabbing at somebody who they kind of wanted to fill a position. So. I mean, I, I don't agree that it is necessarily... The, I agree I that mean, it wasn't necessarily the best pick.
0: Yeah, the only thing I can think of is, you don't like putting Santi at second. Smart. It is important. And, you know, he's kind of touch and go. I yeah. mean, he had a down year. He had one really strong year, then a down year. And he's always kind of been, like, around that 260 hitter. Defensively, it's fine, but you could use him elsewhere. So, I mean, this does help you there. Yeah. So, and... Being that Sugarland, they did move a lot of guys especially last year, but in general they move a lot of guys onto affiliated ball. You can go after names like this and expect to reasonably sign them.
1: Yeah, I mean I guess that could be part of the equation too is okay, well maybe we can, you know, sell him to sign him and then you know kind yeah, of. Yeah, move the off.
0: contract off. Yep. So that's that was the fourth pick. Pick number five line the high point, my guy Logan Moore went. I'd like to pick. Logan Moore will slot in and help that catcher position over there in High Point. And as a nice defensive guy to that uh, to that lineup, and decent enough bat, I'm bad at that pick.
1: Yeah, me too. Real great defensive catcher. Smart guy behind the plate. Really knows how to handle a pitching staff. So I think he'll be a fantastic addition for a younger team in high point.
0: Um, moving on to pick number six. A guy that I'm surprised fell this far, but I'm sure York's very happy about this. Jim Fuller goes to York. Left-handed guy. Closer of the year. Probably the most dominant reliever of the year in this league. He helps out a York bullpen that's now gone a total one eighty from the the way they started this year. Just being atrocious to now when the better bullpen's in the league. I love that pick for them. I think he has a nice solid guy in the back part of that road in the back part of that lineup, and I think he's going to be a solid guy coming out of that bullpen.
1: I agree. I think he's going to be fantastic coming out of the bullpen. This is a wise pick by York. It's the same thing with Somerset, uh, not on as grand a scale as York Somerset's pick was, but this is very much Seeing a deficiency in your ball club and going and finding something to fill fill that void.
0: Of course, and then we go now to the final pick of the first round. To Long Island, David Roseboom. If you wanted a pitcher, the kind of take was Jose Rosario. Yep. And you didn't. And I'm not really sure why you didn't. If you wanted a starter, too, Brandon Fry. Like, Roseboom's fine. He's a good pitcher. He's probably going to be a three in their rotation. Just. Three or a four, yeah. Yeah, just. It seemed like an interesting pick. You could have went big game hunting or Long Island. You could sign them. I agree. Like, there's three teams here that I really think could go that big game hunting. Take those big names Somerset, Long Island, and Sugar Land. Those three move people in and out really quick, so you could have gotten those guys. And it just seems like they took a guy that like, oh, he has major league really experience with the Mets. We'll take him. Yeah,
1: I agree. I think that's very much what they did, was trying to. Find again a big name, but not necessarily somebody who's going to be the most talented player that was available pitching wise. And I think that he's a good guy. I think he'll fit, you know, oh, nicely fit in, but. Uh But I, I don't think it's the best. But I do like the idea of a Mets guy going to Long Island. I think that has worked out in the past. Yeah. Uh, so I could see it being okay. But uh, like you said, I think they definitely can go head hunting if they wanted to, and they didn't really do that.
0: Yep. So moving out the second round. Uh, again, same order. We have Lancaster taking Anthony Marzo. Interesting enough, he had a rough year, nearly a 5-year He only started 6 games. Not great. Interesting enough pick. Again, Brandon Fry would have been my guy there if you wanted a left-handed starter. Didn't. Not much to really say about that.
1: Yeah, not much on that one.
0: Bijan Radmacher goes in second in this round. This is the guy saying, I'm. he's underrated. He's been a AAA guy. You get had his best year in the past two, three years. I'm surprised he fell this far for teams looking for outfielders, although we haven't really seen many, if any. So, Southern Maryland, I like this play for them. They now have a really good outfield. Arguably the best, along with Lancaster now, where you have Vaughn in center field, you have Ruby Silva out in left or right, and then you have uh, Bajan out in the other one. So, I really like that play. Plus, he adds enough pop to your bat. He stole 18 bases. He's a little bit of everything, and I really do like that pick for them.
1: I agree. I think that's a fantastic pick. Anytime you can make one part of your ball club that strong, it's fantastic. Anytime you can really strengthen one area, that can really help when you get into the postseason. If you don't have any weaknesses in one spot. That can really help.
0: So I like that pick there. We move to Jose Rosario, going third to Somerset. Love that move. I think he's definitely, if he does not get a, a spring training invite, if he doesn't get a mind-related contract, he will be in uh, Somerset come May. And I think he'll really help that bullpen out. I think he can kind of fill in that role that guys like Antonini had and then kind of left and they came back to it. And who knows who's going to be back next year if the mound thing gets put through. And I think Rosario could be a nice kind of back-of-the-bullpen type guy, maybe fill in us closer, maybe just be a long guy out of the pen.
1: I agree. I think that he's fantastic. He really does fit in with that mold of, Somerset as a really good team and a team that will put guys into affiliated baseball. I think mean, this is another one that should look look forward to not be there that long if he does sign.
0: Yep. Uh, let's see. Tyler Moder goes next. No real fun Tyler Moder. He's he played about forty games for him, didn't play bad. Just again, Sugarland, a very interesting decision to go with Tyler Motter. Again building up the infield though. No. Next pick here that I really like. Uh, number five. Second round, the high point, Darren Ford. Now, batting wise, okay year. But he stole 50 bases. You steal 50 bases, that's impressive. And
1: yeah, he's got value he's a speedster, and I really think that he's somebody who is a smart pick for them because they have the ability to take that pick. I mean, they're not going to lose anything on it, right? Exactly. Might as well take a flyer and see if he can, you know, add a little bit to the batting average.
0: Yeah, he seems a little bit like that Breland Almanova kind of mold, yeah. where it's just a better version of him. And I like that kind of on the team. And I think originally what, uh, what Jamie Keith was going for with bringing Elman Dovin in is kind of bringing on a contact hitter that's good at fielding and it's extremely fast. And I think Darren Ford kind of fits that mold a little bit better. And I really need to see how he's going to use him next year if he signs. I
1: agree. Yeah. I think it'll be very interesting to see how he used him. And he can really be an impact player and X factor if they get into like a playoff series. He could be one of those guys who really turns the tide.
0: Uh, Brandon Fry goes next to York, left handed pitcher again. They seem to have their type.
1: Um,
0: <laughs> you know, I, I'm okay with it. They needed pitching again. Adds another arm, I like it enough for that reason.
1: Yeah, again, it's just bolstering a pitching staff that was very weak last year, and it's a good move. You can sign a guy like this. Uh, you know, you can really help him along. Yep.
0: Uh, Ryan Jackson then goes in the, with the last pick to Long Island. Again, major league experience. Nothing much else. I assume this is kind of a replacement for Mike Holt, who's retired. Again, there are other guys to pick.
1: did seem like there were other guys to pick, but hey,
0: this is who Long Island decided to take. All right, so we're just going to go through now in the third round here. We're going to go through names that actually mean something. Jovan Rosa had a good with the bees to start. Then he went to Mexico. Really did well there. He went number one to... uh Flancaster, I like that for them, That's another guy on the infield. Number three overall, Christian Frederick, another guy who was a starter, it was to Somerset, I like it, he could be number five for them. Yep, left-handed guy too, so I don't think they have too many left-handers over no, in Somerset, so, so that will be helpful to them. Giovanni Soto went next to Sugar Lamp, finally a good pick for them, I like that pick.
1: Big name, big name Giovanni Soto. Mike Carp
0: then goes next to High Point, and this is what really clinches it for me with High Point winning this draft. I love every pick they make. too. Okay. Like Carp's this is always assuming that Carp's gonna be playing, which I gotta think he will at least start the year there. Yep. Even if it turns into a James Looney type situation where he plays a week and then it's on done. You have a really solid first baseman in Mike Carp now. You have Darren Ford, who's gonna be a guy a good player to put in the off field because he's fast. And then you have Logan Moore behind the plate, who is a solid guy, and it's going to be dependent behind the plate. I think it's a really well-rounded draft for high point.
1: I agree. I think it's a really well-rounded draft for high point. And this pick of Karp, is good. I mean, carp has been good.
0: Exactly. He did not play bad. And
1: he did not play bad, and this is a good thing to add to a blossoming team in high point that's going to need some of these, you know, veteran kind of mesh guys, and it's just Jamie Keith being Jamie Keith.
0: Good, good roster construction. Another left-hander, Michael Johnson, goes to York. Nothing much there. Akeel Morris, who was a big-name guy that came into High Point and then found his way into New Britain, he has now found his way onto Long Island. Another former New York vet on Long Island. This fits the Long Island mold. And this pick I kind of like from them. I think he's a good enough risk-reward type guy, right-handed guy. Use him out of the pen, use him as a starter. I think he could work fine.
1: Yeah, I think this fits Long Island's aesthetic so to speak and what they're trying to look for in a player and i think you're right i think it does fit very nicely in with their uh team yep.
0: and that's about it a couple other picks devin burke going really only other notable name he goes to somerset rando morano goes but didn't really do much and then a guy uh, brady dragmire goes to sugarland again kind of a as for notable guys that are left off the list who were not selected uh, Jed Bradley, he had a rough year, but I still think there's something there with him. Juan Deir Franco, Jared James, Rainy Lara, Ozzie Martinez, Brandon May- uh, Brian Mayer, Corey Reardon with Zach Johnson are notable names that are left off in our free agents. I imagine most of those guys will make their way to the Road Warriors because I, I frankly am kind of surprised that Corey Reardon did not get picked.
1: No, I, I'm surprised he didn't get picked, but yeah, I can see him being on a ro-
0: Road Warriors team. Yep. So, with that going through that, Who's your big winner and who's your big loser from this?
1: My big winner, I'm going to say, is High Point, Point. I'm going to agree with you. I'm going to say that High Point was my big winner. Really good catching depth added there, uh, and Logan Morrison, and, and very good depth added all around, like you said, in the first base and other positions as well with Nash and others. Uh, my big loser is going to be Lancaster.
0: Lancaster, okay. Lancaster, right. Okay, let's hear
1: it. Uh, so, yeah, you know, I just don't know if the, the picks they had addressed the concerns that they they needed. Uh, you know, I, I just think that, you know, overall, it didn't really address all of the concerns that they needed. And they had a lot of concerns, but it just wasn't the concerns they needed. You could also say Somerset in there as well.
0: That's interesting, because I was going to say Somerset is my winner. Really? Here's why. I like the pick of getting Rodgers in there. That addresses a need. It gets you a bat and that now am going to free up some other spots. Because that- now you can put him at a DH or you can put him at first base. And you got a little bit more flexibility in that field. So I like that. I like Jose Rosario too. I think he's going to be a good guy. I think I can see him signing there as well. And that helps out a bullpen that towards the second half of last year. Wasn't particularly good. Now granted, nothing was really working for them. I mean, when you have several games, or several, like five game losing streaks, you know you're in the skids. So I just, I like adding him in there for more bullpen support. Christian Frederick I like as that kind of back end of the rotation type guy. Somerset, I know, tends to rotate between a five-man and six-man rotation. So he's right. the kind of guy I think could be kind of like a David Holmberg type where he's going to give you four or five innings, maybe one run, strike out a couple, not really do any damage, and then you can hand it off to the bullpen from there.
1: See, but for me, the the, the fact that they take two pitchers, uh, no, three pitchers. Three they took pitchers. Park, yeah, too. Me. the fact that they take three pitchers, uh, two pitchers early on, then the third. The fact that they take three pitchers to me signals, you know, you've got a weakness. P- the pitching was not their problem last year. We meant a couple of games that you know they just could not hit the baseball. And yeah, they got one guy, uh, DH, to kind of fill that void a little bit. But I think there were some guys on the New Britain team that they could have, you know, taken to really help bolster that. Uh, lineup, but it, and they didn't do it, so that's why they that's why they were my my loser. Just because they, I thought they could have all taken right. a higher volume, but not that the players they took were bad.
0: Okay, so then I assume we both agree Rodgers is the right pick at three. We agree on that. Yeah. All right, then with the third pick in the second round, who are you taking? Are you still going Rosario, or are you taking one of these other guys? Um, because really, I'm looking here, and out of all the guys that are available, the only guys that I see that are even like really would help them batting wise. Is Carp, who I could see signing there. Yeah, I I, um, I, I might have taken a carp. Rosa I could see. Uh, maybe Darren Ford.
1: Yeah, maybe maybe a Darren Ford, maybe something like that. You know, I would have taken an, an offensive player. I would probably have went with Carp with or Ford, uh, because I, I would have wanted somebody um, who, you know, kind of high risk, high reward on both of those guys as to whether, you know, Carp is actually going to play and whether Ford can actually, you know, hit consistently enough. But I think, you know, with, with Ford, you know, that speed is an X factor. And I think that's something they needed was to create some runs. I think that's what a guy like that can do. So I would have taken one of those two guys. Like I said, it's not necessarily, um, and it's not necessarily that their draft was putrid, uh, in it by any means. It's just I would have liked to see them address batting.
0: Yeah, so then you would have said your picks would have been Rogers. then we'll say Ford goes in the second round, then you would have taken Carp the third pick? Yeah, probably. See, I agree with that, but at the same time, I like Frederick as a pitcher, and I like Rosario especially a lot. I think those two are dynamic guys, and frankly, I'd rather, I'd rather take the chance on the two pitchers than take the chance on Carp and Ford. I understand where you're coming from, and it definitely is a concern here, but I feel like you have a better shot with Rosario and Frederick signing for certain. And I take the certainty on that one.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Like I said, I, I don't think that they were bad picks. I think they were good picks. But it just doesn't... To me, if if you've had... I think in, in some ways you have to m- at least minorly overcorrect. You've had these these kind of issues and struggles. Not just this year, but you know, in the past right. couple of years. So, I mean, it's just a matter of preference. But that's just my <laughs> preference. Certainly not... Uh, yeah, no,
0: I, I'm just saying. It's, and in case my loser is going to be Sugarland. I don't really like mm-hmm. anything Sugarland did. Yeah, that's a good one too. I think
1: that. <laughs> yeah, I think um, back Lancaster. I give him Sugarland
0: Armistea is he's fine. He's gonna draw on people. He fits your mold. I don't really know why you took, you know, Tyler Moder. There's better guys to take. Even Ryan Jackson would have been better. Von Rosa would have been better. Yeah, there were other guys there that could have really helped you out. Mike Cart would have been nice to be on that team. Even Giovanni Soto. I'm not sold on him. I would have rather seen you take uh, take Michael Johnson, take Akil Morris, take even even Riordan. Or if you really were dead set on getting a left-hander, you could have taken a guy like Chris Reed. There are other guys to take there, and frankly, I just, I don't think they have that great of a, a disposal draft. That's how that lies, As a disposal draft. Really, none of this matters until the player is signed, right. but it's fun to talk about. It so is we'll fun to that. talk about. So we'll kind of move on now. The next topic, and what will probably be the last topic of the day ABS and MILB. So, <laughs> the automated balls and strike system that we saw all year in the Atlantic League, or well, half the year in the Atlantic League, is coming to several affiliated minor league ballparks. Uh, we don't know the exact amount, we only know this is happening because uh, Rob Manfred, the commissioner of baseball, announced this in an interview with uh, The Atlantic and said that they have the technology, we have the reason to do it, we're going to do it, it's going to be in several ballparks this year, and we're going to see how this works out. Obviously, people are not happy about it, because it's a divisive issue, as we all know, as we all saw for this whole year. We have some requests to talk about, so I figure we talk about real quickly. Quite frankly, see this doing the same exact thing it did in the Atlantic League, which is people that don't like change are going to say this is terrible and awful. And going to point to every missed ball and strike as, you know, this is terrible and wrong. We need to go back to the old ways. People that want the new technology, that are tired of missed calls and balls and strikes not being called balls and strikes, are going to say, well, you can't expect it to be perfect the first time you roll it out. Give it a chance. And just kind of going through that song and dance again. And people have been pointing to the one pitch in the Arizona Fall League that was like in the dirt. It was called a strike. Because the thing is, it uses a 3D model. So as long as it clips the strike zone, it's a strike. It could, like, just nick the corner, like the bottom corner of it, and go into the dirt, strike.
1: And that's why I think you have to have some umpire discretion, right? Yeah. I mean, an umpire yeah, should see like. that and go, yeah, a batter can't hit that pitch. I understand why it called it a strike, but a batter cannot realistically yeah. make contact with that pitch. And so if that's the case, okay, then we can, you know, move on. Uh, and And I think as long as, I think it's a good thing. I really, I think it's the way it's going to have to go. Because, you know, especially because guys are throwing harder and harder, I mean, it's really hard to see, you know, in, in such a small window uh, of space if a, a 99, 100-mile-an-hour fastball is, uh, you know, within, you know, this very small range. So it's hard to see. And, you know, I think it's good to have it there as a as a resource to rely upon, but not necessarily solely the calling balls and strikes.
0: Yeah, using the discretion is really how this has to go. Uh, there's no real uh, other way of handling this. You need to be able to overrule stuff, because traditionally, anything in the dirt, it's, a, it's a ball. It's not strike. Right. You gotta call it like that. And at the same time, as you see the sport changing, as you see people and technology kind of improving, nobody wants to see missed calls anymore. People say, it's part of the game. Just because a mistake was a mistake then, and we didn't have the power to correct the mistake, does not mean we should just continue to do it, because that's the way it's been done. Right. That's Faulty reasoning there. If you can fix it, fix it. It doesn't really interfere with the game at all. Let the umpire be able to make discretionary calls. All it good.
1: Done and done. I mean, it'll it'll speed the game up. It'll make it better. It'll stop from managers getting thrown out every five minutes. It'll just be overall a better adjustment to the game if it's implemented correct, in my opinion, anyway.
0: Exactly. I 100% agree with it. I mean, there's not really much to say about this. It's going to happen. We all knew it was going to (laughs) happen.
1: Whether you like it or not, it's coming. (laughs) Exactly,
0: and it's going to come to Major League Baseball probably 2021, 2022, to be honest. I'd say probably 2022, 2023, right in that range, because they'll probably go limited rollout next year. 2021, full rollout. 2022, Players Union will fight like hell against it. Same thing with the Umpire Union. And 2023, they'll cave and they'll do it. And it's going to become a necessity now, especially thinking more of a Major League perspective here. Sports gambling's on the rise. Yeah. It's legal in a lot of places. It's going to be c- continued to be legalized, and if you have people betting thousands of dollars on games, you can't afford to have a missed strike where that would end the inning, and then two pitches later, home run, tie game. You can't have that.
1: I agree, and also it allows, especially in in some of the if you do it in minor league baseball, you know, I mean, it allows for the ability to make sure that everything is is okay. Exactly. You know, and and it doesn't give the opportunity for betting to influence the game in, in any yeah. way.
0: Work out the kinks down low, and roll it out when you have that worked out. Agree. Yeah. All right, so we got some uh, tryout news and update news, just quickly for the players that listen. Some tryouts coming up next Friday, November 15th in Scottsdale, Arizona. There is a Frontier League tryout, so you can try to get there for that. We'll, uh, I'll put the link to the tryout information in the show notes, so you can go right to the website show notes, scroll down to this episode, it'll be there, you click it, view all that, and there's also a multiple league tryout, multi-day tryout, November 23rd through 26th, so that Thanksgiving week, the first few days, right, up to the, uh, I believe the Wednesday for Thanksgiving, that is, but it's that week in Arlington, Texas, multiple leagues will be there, Uh, multiple leagues will be there, it'll be the American Association, Frontier League, Pacific Association, the three main leagues, I'll be there, it's at Texas Air Hog Stadium is a, like I said, it's a multi day combine. Do a bunch of different things, get in front of the scouts. All nine there. Again, the link to that will be in the show notes. So, just throw that out there for those guys that are looking for an opportunity next year. Smaller updates some news on McCoy. It's expected to have a sports component. We know that now. And we're still many weeks away from a decision. It's kind of in a holding powder due to other downtown developments. So, we're not really sure what's going to happen in Pawtucket but there is looking like there will be a sport of some sort there, so no cons of Penny, it looks like at least.
1: <clears> yeah, so for those of you hoping to have baseball there, it's at least a good start. Exactly,
0: exactly. you'll either have baseball or soccer there probably. Like I said, weeks away from a decision, so probably not before New Year's, I'd say.
1: Yeah, no way. and yeah, From the timeline they've had so far, absolutely not.
0: Exactly, I think they're kind of at a stalemate at the moment, so they got to work through that. And then in Ottawa, there is absolutely no movement. Yeah, that's where we stand there. That's about all we have to cover this week. Just quickly kind of figure out this uh, Q&A episode bit, and we'll get out of here fairly quick.
1: Yep, and so for those of you who want to get some questions coming in, that'd be fantastic. We'll be happy to field any and all questions uh, and get, uh, you know, good answers to you all, uh, the best informed answers we can.
0: So let's go ahead and try to figure out an actual date for this, so that way we can promote it and everything. What date do we actually want to, you know, have these questions in by? Next week doesn't seem like a great one. We could probably do either the last two weeks in November or the first week in December. Probably one of those three weeks, I'm thinking.
1: Let's do the last week in November. Okay, yeah. so
0: the for the 29th, so Black Friday. Let's do, De- let's do, December, we'll the do December the 6th. We'll do December the 6th? Yeah. Okay, so December the 6th is when we're going to record this Q&A episode. You all will now have until December the 6th, nearly a month, this session cut, because it's about a month for you to get questions and send them in. You may want to wait a little bit for anything that's going to be kind of time-sensitive. But if it's a general question, send them in as soon as possible. Hell, even if it's time-sensitive, send them in. We can get multiple Q&As going. We can get the whole thing going. Like I said, the more questions, the better. Because once we run out of questions, the episode is done. So, more questions, the better. Send them in to the email. IndieBallReport at gmail.com. Send them in via social media. IndieBallReport on Instagram. IndieBallPod on Twitter. Send them in there. You can even leave them in YouTube comments if you want to do that. Yep. If you got a question, send it in. anyway. Exactly. Very simple. The sooner the better if it requires digging, though, because, you, you know, you need to research it.
1: Right. Absolutely. If it requires a lot of digging or reaching out to sources or things, we definitely want to have that as quick as possible. Uh, and, and like I said, any questions, we'll certainly try to get answered. As long as it's within the realm of independent league baseball, we'll certainly answer uh, all the questions that we get.
0: Exactly. I know there's been some questions about where the former Can-Am League games going to be played on. We're trying to figure that out. You know, other things like that. So we have some, not many, though. It's only like three right now. So send them in. The more, the better.
1: The more, the better. And the more questions you send the better that show is, then the more we can continue to do that and get more fan interaction.
0: Exactly. And if you have other ideas for episodes... Send them in too, because once again, we're kind of in the trial period now, where there's going to be nothing that's going to be a lot slower news-wise. I mean, this is probably going to be the biggest week we have for a good little bit here. So, the more, the merrier, the better. We want ideas, whether it be interviews, whether it be Q&As, whether it be just kind of anthology episodes where it's like, how would you build this new Gastona team from a roster's perspective, things like that. We have some ideas, but we don't have that many. We don't have enough to last the whole winter, so the more, the better. Because we'd like to try and avoid just doing uh, news recaps as much as possible. Because that's, let's be honest, it's not as entertaining as it could be.
1: Absolutely. Not as entertaining as it could be. And, you know, we really want to be as entertaining as we can. we also want to give the best information that we can to you all uh, so that you can be interested in what we have to say. And we value uh, what you have to say to us as well.
0: All right. And with that, we'll kind of plug and get out of here now. uh, Like we said, you can find us on Instagram at IndieBall or not at Indie Ball Report, but it is Indie Ball Report on Instagram. You can find us on Twitter at IndieBall Pod, Instagram, Indie Ball Report. The website ww I believe the link is in our bio for each of the things. So go over there, check it out. Uh, YouTube channel is Indie Ball Report Podcast. So look that up, there's some videos there if you want to read that. Stay tuned on all the social media and the website because there'll be a new article coming out either tonight, so Friday night or Saturday morning, sometime in there. So be sure to check that out. Uh, We're doing a cool edit series on the Instagram where I do the kind of player edits for each of these guys taking the expansion draft for the new rosters. Set 2 should have been out on Friday night. Uh, Set 3 will come out on Saturday. And then set 4 of what's left will be Sunday. So take a look at that stuff. It's pretty cool. If you missed the first set, that's one of the highlights in our story on the actual Instagram page. You'll check that out. Doing a whole bunch of cool stuff. Again, any suggestions, send it in on those social media channels or it, or report at gmail.com. That's all the suggestions. That's about all the plugs we got. Show's available on pretty much any podcast that's not Google Play, so iTunes, Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher, the standard lot. With that said, anything else left to add?
1: Make sure you like and subscribe to the Indie ball Report podcast.
0: And with that said, we'll end this episode the same way most of these things end. Don't forget to play ball.